This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The discipline of parenting has no shortcuts. You must show up. You must do the work. Like any other area of your life, discipline results in progress, and a lack of discipline results in regret. The goal is not to find shortcuts, because you still need to show up and you still need to do the work. Chris offers you tools to communicate and physically intervene. These tools have reliably worked for him, his colleagues, and his staff over the past 15 years in all five boroughs of New York City and with hundreds of his students. This has been true whether Chris worked in homes, clinics, hospitals, or schools. He offers consistently successful techniques. The goal is to ease your concern about what can I do and to cut the learning curve by saving you the trial and error. Valeria interviews Chris Lake, He is the author of Help Your Toddler Meet Their Milestones, 101 Behavior Hacks. He is a native New Yorker who has been working with children with developmental delays across the past two decades. He received his master's in both general and special education in 2012. And in 2014, he started Community for a Cause, a nonprofit to initially advocate for children with lead poisoning. This nonprofit has successfully worked to aid New Yorkers in all five boroughs, as well as people abroad. Community for a Cause has several branches that include special needs advocacy, homeless relief, sexual violence prevention, environmental protection, and a community building branch. Through his charity, Chris Lake remains committed to doing all he can to help those in New York who are without a voice and all those who are in need of support. In looking to expand his ability to provide for families of children with autism, he wrote his book, Help Your Toddler Meet Their Milestones, to give families and providers a time-tested blueprint of how to develop children using evidence-based practice. A portion of all book proceeds goes towards preventing and alleviating childhood lead poisoning. Meet Chris at 101behaviorhacks.com. Here's the interview with Chris Lake. In your own words, who is Chris Lake? Larry, thank you so much for having me here today. Chris Lake is a husband, father, child advocate, activist, and author of the newly released book, Help Your Child to Meet Their Milestones, 101 Behavior Hacks. I am someone who does what I can to help the community around me with whatever resources I have available and aim to inspire other people in the community to do the same. That's beautiful to hear. Community. There's something about coming together that makes this human experience so much more fun, (laughs) meaningful and fun. With that in mind, I guess the question I have for you already from the get-go is about the nonprofit that you have founded, Community for a Cause. How Mm -hmm. did that start? What was the inspiration for this to come into being? So this, I developed this about eight years ago. Um, When I first worked as a head teacher, my first year after getting my master's, I had several students in my classroom, eight students, and one had lead poisoning. Um, Now, before this, I've been working with kids for eight years prior, and I've come across lead poisoning in literally every single classroom that I've worked in. But for some, for some reason, this was different, I guess because it was actually my classroom. I wasn't just a teacher's assistant. I, I felt more ownership. And of the eight kids, seven showed up for graduation. The one who had lead poisoning did not. And he always had a more difficult time learning, holding on to learning, emotionally managing himself. And my heart kind of broke, right? Um, 
And I asked myself, you know, is there something more I can do for this kid than behavior therapy that we're doing for all these other children? And, you know, that was the last day of the year. So we had summer break and I was watching a food-based documentary, a plant-based diet documentary, Hungry for Change. And in it, this guy, Dr. Michael Adams, very casually, very, very casually says, you know, when you eat cilantro, it goes into your blood, eats toxic heavy metals and removes them. And for me, exactly, for me, that was a true eureka moment. I've never understood what eureka feels like until I had that moment. And and I said, wait a second, what did you just say? And I rerounded like five times and I said, wait, this is this can't be right. So you're saying, because no one ever told me this, right? There's, and there's a, there's a disconnect of conversations between different disciplines. And this is just one example. And we might be able to get into more later, but for me to focus. I, I went down a rabbit hole for the rest of the summer of research. I said, okay, if this A, is this true? Is it true cilantro actually helps remedy lead poisoning? And in fact, what research is available, although it's limited, points to yes. I have to be very cautious how I use my words. I can't say causes, can't say definitively this does X, Y, Z, but it points to yes. Um, and so then I asked furthermore, can other things do this as well? And it turns out other research, again, limited, very limited research on plant medicine in general, where we can get um, but it also points to yes. So this made me say, well, what can I do? Um, to fast forward, a friend invited me to a fashion show. He knows I love fashion shows. I used to do fashion shows. Um, and while I was there, I met a woman who happened to be a lactation consultant. And we got to chatting. And I told her what my current obsession was with childhood lead poisoning. And she said, we should do something. Let's throw a fashion show. And I said, that's a great idea. And so... We decided we tried to throw a fashion show in New York City, and we gathered musicians and models and fashion designers, and we had people promote products, and we had just general people in the community who helped out, like Sue Fearless, um, and and they we put together a beautiful show on the winter solstice of 2014, and it was a hot show, great time, made absolutely no money whatsoever for childhood like poisoning, though, because... Yeah, it's a party and play crowd, right? They went there. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, we, we put on a good show, but I wasn't disheartened. I said, well, okay, what can we still do with this? We tried to throw another fashion show a year later um, with less success. And I, and then we we, we dissolved. We, we went our separate ways. But I still had ownership of this 501c3 that I established for this cause. And my wife talked me into changing the name. Um, a year later, she said, listen, you're not going to throw fashion shows anymore. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you, you got to you gotta do something. And I didn't want to let go of that C for a C combination, that string. So eventually my brain jumped on community. And, and my goal is essentially for people in the community to pool resources, knowledge, money, if necessary, to fix a problem, any problem. You know, the problem that I was focused on at first was lead poisoning. But since I started in 2014, we've expanded. We have d- different branches. One is for childhood lead poisoning and slash special needs. One is homeless relief. One is storm relief. One is sexual violence prevention. One is environmental prote- protection. So down the road, I hope to scale up and have different causes that matter to different people who are able to gather other members of the community to tackle things. You know, I think too, too much we look towards um, a superhero. We, we hope the government's going to solve problems for us. Or we hope we hope a celebrity might just jump in and the but but the reality is and not to be a pessimist just the reality is they haven't not at the not at the scale that we desire there are people in positions of power policy legislation who are really trying and they're really fighting but on the large scale we're just not seeing all that care that we wish we could instead we see money going other places so I really truly think it's on the community to fix the community I think it's on us to take care of us. Uh, on a local level, and you really got to focus on a local level first and then slowly expand bit by bit by bit. You see, I was very curious about lead poisoning. So I probably heard of this before, but not um, the way you speak of. So I guess the basic question is, how do we or do children get poisoned by lead? That's my question. It's it's so sad. Um, Unfortunately, it varies by location. Um, The most common form of lead absorption is through dust all right so most most of the paint that we used before the 70s had some level of lead in it and so if someone's doing renovations and they're not epa certified or they just don't really know what they're doing um they might just take a saw and and cut through walls or if they have to expand a window they're going to cut through the, the, the the walls and that's blowing all this paint dust into the air 
and it's it's totally unintentional, right? It's totally unintentional. The people who made the paint didn't really know, um, but that's still unfortunate. Dust doesn't go away, all right? The dust settles on on windowsills. Every time you open a window, some more dust kind of can can not spray, but linger around and be freed. And if you have a little one and they're they're crawling around, toddlers and infants have a lot of hand to mouth behavior. They are they explore things with their hands. They explore things with their mouths. So they're they're going to pick things up and put their hands in their mouth. They're going to walk around and put their hands in their mouth. They're not aware that their hands have just picked up trace amounts of lead, and now they're ingesting it. And it's only small amounts, very small amounts, that can really cause damage. Um, unfortunately, in this country, lead poisoning is more common than autism, but it's not really on the national radar in America because until Flint, until Flint, Michigan, because we had someone to point a finger at. Whenever we have someone to point a finger at, like in New York, where I am, there was a big there was a big situation with NYCHA, the public housing, where the commissioner knew that there was lead paint and they knew that people were getting sick and said nothing. And they got into a lot of trouble. So there was someone to point a finger at. In the New York public schools, they realized the pipes hadn't been checked in over 10 years. And as, as a result, they found that a lot of these pipes, I should say a lot, but enough pipes <laughs> had were made of lead and need to be replaced. So that's another source in some areas, old pipes. If a house was built before 1986 in this country, then yeah, they they probably have some lead in their pipes. It doesn't mean that someone's drinking straight lead, but that means trace elements can leach into the water. Before 1995, um, tin can food had lead in it. There's there's makeup from different countries that has lead. Mascara has lead in it. Lipstick has has lead in it. Um, so it's it's kind of almost omnipresent. The the car exhaust doesn't have much, but it's um, there's some lead present in the exhaust from different vehicles. And while people think, well, it's in the air, the air things that are in the air don't just fly up and go away. <laughs> they, they 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 float up for a bit and then they settle right back down. Um, and then another source that's unfortunately um, historic uh, is going to be in the soil. And this is because um, at the turn of the 20th century, so the early early 1900s, there was a lot of smelting. And that continued until about the mid-1900s. And we smelted lead um, in a lot of places. Like if you look at Chicago, if you look at the history of smelting in Chicago, if you look at East Chicago, Indiana, it's a city a little south of Illinois. Um, they're a super fun site for lead. Um, you can't you can't even walk near there. The lead, the ground is so poisoned. Um, and then you had uh, in different countries, they still smelt auto batteries, right? When they when they smelt auto batteries, they're losing backyards in Jamaica. I'm talking to this woman, Sharika Bongs, uh, Whiteford. She um, she leads the Caribbean Poison Information Network, and they're trying to find ways to reduce the lead poisoning and, and treat the lead poisoning because. In a lot of countries, especially what we call third world countries or developing countries, there's a lot of backyard smelting or, or um, unregulated smelting of car batteries to get the, the lead out and then you can resell the lead. And that's poisoning kids left and right. Here's a scary fact for you. Ready? You ready for a scary fact? So if you look across the entire globe, fully 40% of all the children on this planet have lead poisoning. That's Anywhere between 647 million and 800 million kids right now have lead poisoning. Right now. That means they have some brain damage. That means in 20 years, that means a third of this planet will have adults with brain damage. And But the problem is it's happening to poor kids. It's happening to poor black and brown kids or poor kids in poor countries. So there's not a lot of powerful advocates that are really making enough noise. It's, it's, that's why it breaks my heart. Kids with autism make pro- kids with autism I work with. Last thing I'll say is they make progress. Kids with lead poisoning, it's so much slower. It's so much harder to see them make progress, and it breaks my heart still to this day. So that's why we really advocate for it because they need someone to. They need someone to. So the use of lead, it's not intentional, right, Chris? It's would you say it's coming from ignorance? It's coming from a place of ignorance for the most part. Um, I could I could rattle on for about two hours of the history history of lead in pipes because there was a part in plumbing where it was intentional, or I should say not so much intentional, but quick history lesson. One of the first 12, uh, 12 industries that were on the stock market in America was national lead. It was a lead industry. So there's, there's a long history of, of corporate lead. And that, that sounds crazy, right? Like when I first, did, when, I, when I first was lobbying 
um, for lead laws, I thought to myself, this is a home run. This is a slam, slam dunk. This is some law hanging fruit. There's no, there's no lead farmers who are going to be mad that I want lead, lead regu regulations that are going to help kids with blood testing. Um, but it still took me three years to get a test, to get a pass. Um, three years. And we don't realize there are industries that still produce lead, you know, like ammunition. Bullets are made of lead, and that's a pretty big industry. Um, you know, paint that's used for bridges and certain construction projects still has some lead. Like the, the industry still exists. Um, they don't advertise, right, because they know that there's a public opinion against them. But in the 20s, they they knew. They, they've known since the 1800s that this is poisonous. And in the 20s, they also were aware. They didn't care. Honestly, they didn't care. And they basically, the industry paid plumbers to install pipes. Um, the word plumber, in fact, is Latin from plumbum, which is which means lead. And they, they pay them to install pipes and then pay legislators to make it a the law that only plumbers could install pipes. And this created unions and unions are big sources of voter pools. And so they did this intentionally to corner the pipe market. And yeah, yeah. And But there's consequences, right? There's consequences. So lead poisoning, what it does besides cause brain damage and some speech delays, later in life, it's, it's been linked to Violence, aggression, and juvenile delinquency, all right? So wherever you see a lot of lead, you're generally going to see a lot of crime. And it usually doesn't pop up right away. It'll pop up about 17, 23 years later. And just, just food for thought, there is no state that has more lead in it than Illinois, and there's no city that has more lead in it than Chicago. People often talk about how violent Chicago is. It is full of lead, pipes wow. and all, full of it. Mm -hmm. That's not a coincidence. You are a behavior scientist. So when you speak of uh, like lead poisoning, that mm -hmm. affects behavior because if it affects the brain and then it's, um, it will affect behavior. Yes. So we can't really, in a way, we can't really judge people by their behavior unless we know that they are healthy, physiologically, biologically healthy. That just comes to me as, a, as something to be explored. Listen, sis, you're, you're speaking gospel right now. Um, and what you're saying, what you're saying, though, is a truly evolved thought, right? Um, because not a lot of people want to take stock into what someone's biology might be when they're looking at someone's behavior. Um, but, but what you said is 100% true. It's not necessarily what, the, what you're seeing someone, how you're seeing someone act in front of you is not the full story. When, when you see a clip on Instagram or TikTok of someone having an obviously bad day and they're, quote unquote, flipping out, we're, we're not seeing the whole picture. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. I, I read that statistically about 40% of people in prison right now have some form of developmental delay. So are they criminals or were they people who needed therapy and needed treatment and were never given the resources to learn how to manage their emotions, never given the resources to learn how to properly communicate or advocate for themselves, and eventually one day was a tipping point for them, or they were recruited by someone who realized they could take advantage of this person who makes bad choices. And that it's, it's truly an evolved thought. And, and what's more is that when you start to think like, oh, maybe this person, maybe this person making bad choices or making this, choosing this behavior, I say choosing lightly, um, because of their biology or because of the lack of resources they had, maybe maybe we should make room for forgiveness. And that's that's even even higher on the on the spiritual request, you know, but but that's the true path to peace in, peace in my mind. Uh, it's 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 you're you're on you're onto something right now. It's so difficult for so many, like you said, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. Um, but I think if we let ourselves pause and just let ourselves kind of Look at other people who may be struggling or look at other people that we don't agree with and say, you know, maybe they're having a harder time than I know. And as long as they're not directly affecting you, because obviously you have to set your own boundaries. If someone's if someone's behaving in a certain way, it's hurting you physically, financially, socially, yeah. you can be like, excuse me, nope, stop. Oh, yes. Un <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unacceptable. Don't care yeah. what's going on with biology or your history. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, boundaries. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But you can still, but there's still always room for empathy for those, even if you don't know the reasons, because most people, most people are having a harder time than living on. And most mm. people don't ask for help. Mm. And yeah. most people don't ask for enough help. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel and how I live my life. Yes. Mm. Good, good. Well, I, I went through a lot of trauma in childhood and a lot of confusion. And then my way, my path was the spiritual path. 
That's the path that I'm still on. And with that in mind, I have to ask you this question. What has been your spiritual experiences in the sense of seeing the big picture, of understanding yourself better? Yeah, I know about shamanism. I'd love to hear more about that now, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, let's let's go down the rabbit hole. Yes. So, <laughs> well, we'll go back in time. Before I proposed to my wife, she was going to go on vacation with her sister. And at this point in time, I was investing in cryptocurrency and I was turning a pretty profit. And I told myself, Chris, this is the first time in your life that you can literally travel anywhere in the world. You can travel anywhere you want to. You know you're going to propose to her in a couple of months. And I did. Um, so, but before that, since she's out of town for two weeks, you know, you need to do something for you and just enjoy. And I said, okay, great. What can I do? And I went through a number of options in my head. And eventually something in my head said, hey, remember that thing you once heard about called ayahuasca? And I paused and said, yeah, that's okay. Let me do some research. And at first, I thought it was just going to be some uh, disassociative experience that would be fun and trippy, and, and it would give me something that was akin to what I heard on a Joe Rogan podcast. And there's no no shade of Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> but um, when, I, when I started doing research into what it was, I realized that it was so, so, so much more than I originally anticipated, and that drew me even more because I've always been spiritually fascinated. I was raised Christian, but I um, I find God in nature. I always have. I I have a very very deep conversation with God daily. I always have. Uh, I've always respected Jesus as a man, as a prophet, as as everything that I've been taught. But there's certain things about Christianity that just didn't sit well with me. But but I wasn't one to turn around and say, well, then nothing about religion is right. And I reject all religion and reject God. I, I was like, no, like th there's some, there's some aspects that aren't quite right, but you know, there's some aspects that are spot on. Um, and I always looked at it like every religion has a part of the tapestry of, of the truth. And, and God kind of came to each, each particular group of humans and said, okay, this is what lesson you guys need. And eventually you'll spread it. This is what lesson you guys need. And eventually you'll spread it. And this is what lesson you guys need. And eventually you'll spread it. Um, and so I've always been a seeker. And so ayahuasca was the next chapter that I didn't know I needed to take in my understanding of my spiritual nature. So five years ago, six years ago now, 2017, I go to Peru. Um, even though my wife was there, we didn't go together, right? I just <laughs> I just said, I want, I want to find someplace where I can A, legally do this, B, um, be safe when I'm doing it, and, um, you know, really get the most out of it. And I found this three-day, uh, it was a three-day... Yeah, it was a three-night ceremony, and it was at a place that had a psychologist, it had a nurse, it had a doctor, it had it had shamans, it had assistants. They made you take a toxicology report beforehand. They made you do a psych review. I was like, I like that. I like that you're really making sure we're taken care of because I know there's some places I can go to in Brooklyn if I if I wanted to. I don't um, where they would give you some tea. Um, you just pay them, you know, X amount of dollars to give you tea, and, and they're not really that concerned concerned about your well-being. And alternatively, I have other friends in the community who speak wonderfully of other shamans throughout New York City, upstate New York, who do care about your well-being and will, you know. But again, at the same time, I want to do it as legally as possible. So I went to Peru. And so my first night, my first night drinking ayahuasca, I met Yahweh. And I speak specifically of the God in the Bible because that is what the Spirit told me. It said, my name is Yahweh, say it. And I was just floored. I felt the presence of the Almighty Lord. And I bowed. I said, your name is Yahweh. Cool. And then I just had this deeper connection where I started seeing myself differently. I started seeing the world differently. I started seeing how I understand the connection of everything differently. The next night I met the spirit of mother of earth. Um, and that was a beautiful experience as well. I, I saw my past lives, which I didn't know I had. Well, I, I should say specifically one past life. Yeah. And it was from hundreds of years ago. And um, how much time do you have? Do you want me to go into this? <laughs> yes, I would love to. Yes, right. yeah, please. All right. All right. So, so in my past life, um, yeah. <laughs> what the, yeah. the vision that I had was uh -huh. I was in an indigenous village. Okay, And I was in, a, in the woods and I see this indigenous shaman. The shaman's walking around in the, in the woods knowing that conquistadors, that the Europeans were coming. And and he knew that when they came, they were going to bring weapons and they were going to bring sickness, okay? And the shaman knew that although it would be bad, his people could survive the weapons. He knew they could survive the weapons. 
the shaman knew that people could not survive the sickness. So the shaman went deeper into the woods than he ever did to find a new medicine. He knew he had to find a medicine. He couldn't find it. As he's looking into the woods, there's a snake. And he startles the snake, and the snake bites him. And he dies. And as a result, his people died. Okay? And I was a snake. Yeah. So I have death. Okay? I never knew his past lives would be non-human. This is my information that I was given. I'm glad to share with you. As I told you before, I'm an open book. And as a result, I immediately realized I have debt. And it doesn't matter that my actions were the result of me being startled and I was an animal. I caused something bad to happen. And that means you have debt, right? And so my debt is to make medicine. That's what I was told. That was the information I was given by spirit. You must make medicine. Specifically, two words, make medicine. And, and I, I'm having this realization and I'm, I'm overwhelmed with emotion. And I open my eyes, I'm just crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. And as I open my eyes right in front of me, the shaman from the ceremony is sitting right in front of me. And I just look at him at his remarkable timing and I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just weeping. And, and he, just, he just embraces me and, and, and I, feel, I feel forgiven, but... I feel forgiven for, for the acknowledgement portion of my forgiveness, but there's still work to do, right? Because forgiveness doesn't just come in words. We can say, oh, I'm sorry until the day is done, but what, what, how do you change your behavior, right? Going back to behavior. Um, and so, and that's kind of led me on the path to understanding more and more about lead poisoning. What medicine can, can help these kids? Because that's, that's what I feel pulled to by spirit. I feel spirit saying, you must make medicine. You can't help those people from 500 years ago. They've passed. But you can help certain people today. And once I realized that kids with lead poisoning don't have strong advocates, don't have many advocates across most of the world. There are some out there. I've met plenty worldwide. I've met people in, in Sri Lanka and in Nepal, excuse me. I met people in Nepal. I met people in Uganda. I met people in the UK, Amsterdam, Jamaica, um, Colombia. They're, they're all over people advocating, but they need, they still need more. And they need more of the population to really understand the gravity situation. Um, and, and this has led me to ask more and dig more into, well, what kind of medicine is found in nature? What was that shaman looking for, right? And, um, and I would say, honestly, one of the beautiful things about ayahuasca is that it does open your mind to asking new questions as well as seeing things in a new light. And, and I think there's a huge power, and I can't state this loudly enough, but I, I truly believe there's a huge power in allowing yourself to ask new questions ab about everyday problems. Ask new questions about people or yourself, in particular about yourself. Like, how am I, how am I really doing in this dimension of my life? H how can I budget a little better? How can I be a little bit more productive? How can I fill in the blank? You know, whatever, whatever question you're not asking yourself, just try and ask yourself something new and you might find little tweaks can save your life if not change it. So, so for me, that experience, the, the experience of plant medicine and connecting with spirit led me towards asking a new question, okay? My spiritual path led me to asking this new question. Instead of asking what removes lead from the body, which I was doing for years at this point, years I was doing research, um, scholarly research, uh, reaching out to other experts as well to find out what can remove lead from the body, what plants, specifically plants, what can we eat? Um, and then out of the blue, for no good reason, one would argue, but shortly after a ceremony, I asked a different question. I said, well, what can reverse lead poisoning? What can reverse the brain damage? I never, I never asked that question. In all, in all the years I was doing my research, I never asked what can reverse the brain damage. And so I checked Google Scholar. I put in the algorithm, changed the algorithm. I said, all right, what can reverse, can anything reverse brain damage? Right now, if you, if you Google, um, is brain damage reversible? Google will say no. But if you go on Scholar Google, you'll find this lovely plant called the Tridax daisy that grows in subtropical areas, not too different from where my shaman was living before he got bit by me, the snake. Um, and this flower actually regrows the brain. It actually regrows the brain. And this team from Columbia University used it on mice that they fed lead to, lead acetate, a form of lead, for prenatally, after birth, for 35 days, and then they only gave this compound to these mice for 15 days and the brain damage was reversed. That's impossible. That when I read that, I was like, that's not, po I had to reread it several times because that it's not possible. I reached out. I was, I was so stunned. You, you don't understand. Like I was so stunned when I read this because most research won't say certain things. They'll say it was a statistically significant change or statistically significant. No, this one said all of the mice, every single mice they gave it to reversed. The, yeah. 
the function was restored towards a part of the brain called the Schaefer collateral. It's located in the hippocampus, which is basically the doorway to memory. Okay, so what lead does, it interrupts the brain's ability to finish the, the circuit. So if someone is trying to learn something, it doesn't reach where it needs to for memory to be formed. Without memory, you can't learn, right? And so this plant, 15 days, two weeks, they gave it to two weeks and the mice had function restored. I reached out to as many different researchers, two responded. Dr. Omid Miri and Dr. Kirsten Stansfield, um, neurologists and toxicologists, and they broke down the science to me. They were, first of all, shocked anyone reached out. They said, you read my work. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I was like, yes! I was like, I'm fascinated because I work with <laughs> lead poisoning. And they were like, <laughs> um, and, and we chatted, and we still have relationships today. Years later, we still talk today. Um, and they've they've helped me along my path, and I reached out to other people. I teamed up with Dr. Ruth Etzel, who was the former head of the EPA, Office of Children's Health Protection. We, we discussed lead poisoning, and she pointed me to the World Health Organization. Said, "Chris, you should actually present this to them during their lead poisoning week," and I did. So I actually presented to the World Health Organization about this plant this past October to spread the word because I want every lead av- lead advocate to know there's a plant that grows naturally that's hardy. It's like almost like a weed. It, it grows super easy. That can make a difference. And the issue is, as I brought up before, there's not much research on plant medicine. So that leads me to where I am now, working with some teams to actually provide this medicine to some kids in Uganda. And I thank plant medicine. I I thank shamanism. I thank Mama Aya for opening my eyes to realizing that there are plants that can really change things and help us and, and answer some questions we didn't realize you weren't asking. I love that openness. And you said something earlier that I need to bring that up. You said, I communicate with God often, not with the specific words, but you said in nature. So nature is the way I speak to God. Yes. So that's interesting the way you're speaking now. And then we're talking about plant medicine and nature, right? So God, medicine, healing, spirituality, and different way of living this reality. Listen, according to the Bible, you know, when God made the earth, um, everything in nature is is just the way God made it, right? So that's kind of like the closest you can get to God in nature. It's, it's clean, it's untouched, it's exactly God's design. Um, but for me, it's also the stillness, you know? And one thing that ayahuasca and just shamanism gave me was an appreciation for stillness and learning what peace really is. Because before my experience down this road, I looked at peace the way most people I know looked at peace, which is just an absence of tension. And now I know what to be this stillness wrapped in gratitude, the ability to sit quietly for 15 minutes each morning and simply breathe in gratitude and authentically breathe in gratitude. And it's changed my experience. It changes my days. It changes how people interact with me, how I interact with people. Gratitude and peace. That's a wonderful message to hear and to be reminded of. Yes, meditation. That's some one of the practices that I have let go for some reason. Come back. Yes, right. I feel like um, that now I need to go back to it. I don't need to gain lo- knowledge from it anymore in that sense, but mm-hmm. spiritual sense, but it's just kind of deepening that knowledge, right. I would say. Right, right. Whatever whatever suits your soul, you know, because there's, there's some days where I'll meditate and I'm, I'm, my goal is literally to be thoughtless. Is to sit for the, the timed amount that I have my timer on, and and I'm just going to breathe and focus on the air hitting my nostrils. That's it, and I can do that, you know. But that's that was practice. I had to really not get through the frustration part where at first your brain is going to keep having those monkey mind thoughts. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. Um, and some days I'm like, I'm going to just simply focus on a word. You know, it's going to be gratitude. It's going to be prosperity. It's going to be abundance. It's going to be progress. And I'll literally just repeat that word for 15 minutes. And some days it's going to be, you're going to just let your, your mind run. And that's fine. But you're going to sit still, Chris. You're going to sit still with your ADHD and you're going to be fine. Let's go. Whatever's good for your soul. Whatever's good for your soul. Yeah, that's a great reminder for me. And today I woke up thinking that way. That's mm. interesting that we are talking about this. So <laughs> going back to meditation. So, of course, your book, Help Your Toddler <laughs> Meet Their Milestones, 101 Behavior Hacks. Um, what was the, uh, the main intention of writing this book, Chris? Main intention of writing this book was to make people's lives easier. Once I had my daughter, I realized the work I do with kids with autism every day works for all kids. And for kids who are typical, um, when you apply certain techniques, it's just going to make them grow faster, right? 
my child, she's she's 28 months right now. She speaks fluent French and English. Um, we're working on reading with her, and she's picking up letter sounds. And it's it's because I know how to you know reward what I want to see and downplay what I don't want to see. This has been my job for the last 16 years, and you know my my goal was to give parents my knowledge, but in plain English and in simple techniques they can use. Okay, your kid's tantruming. Here's what you do when a tantrum. Here's how you bring them down. Okay, your kid's not quite speaking yet. They're 15 months old. Here's what you can do to help increase their communication. Okay, your kid's a picky eater. That's fine. 19 to 50% of toddlers are picky eaters. Your child's not being strange. This is normal. Here are some things you can look at that'll ease them out of being picky eaters because it does take time and it does take consistency overall of what the parent does. Uh, ideally, I like the parent to think about themselves in the in the not matrix, but in the equation. Think about yourself in the equation as to what am I doing that's making this child's behavior effective? Am I making this behavior effective? Because behavior continues as long as it's effective, right? Good, good or bad. It's not intentional. Kids aren't really trying to manipulate you. They just found that a certain response is stimulating and they like that. They like to be stimulated. So if you keep responding a certain way, they're going to keep behaving a certain way. And it requires practice, but I promise the parents who are listening right now, if you're consistent and you just stick with it, not that long, too. Honestly, for most cases, if you stick with it for like two to three days, your kid will snap out of a lot of behaviors. But most parents don't don't have the patience or believe the process. But it's really it's really genuinely like a two to three day um, situation where if you and any other adults stick with the same exact game plan, you're going to see a trend in a proper direction, right? And I say trend because it's not a, it's not a one off. You're not going to um, help your kid, you're not going to use a certain technique for picky eating one time and then you're done. You, you're going to do it eight times minimum. I'm telling that, I'm saying that number specifically, parents, because that's how many times it takes to show a child a new food they don't like before they're willing to engage with it. Eight times. You're going to prepare and cook that food eight times minimum. Minimum. And they have to leave on a plate. Not a lot of parents who want to do it more than twice, right? I made that. Why didn't, all right, we're done with this. You don't want to eat it. Nope. Eight times. And that's proven. They've done it with thousands of picky eater toddlers. And everything I give the parents in my book is evidence-based. You know, it's not my opinion because I'm a dad and I think my opinion is so great so you should hear it. No, it's my it's my opinion and it's evidence-based off of the behavior science practices of applied behavior analysis I've been doing for the last 16 years with my staff across hundreds of kids across all five boroughs of New York. And it works. As long as you're consistent, it works. And, you know, on, on my website, I give people room to reach out to me if they have questions. Um, 101behaviorhacks.com. Feel free to reach out. I love helping parents have more confidence knowing what to say and what to do to improve their kids' behavior. It's possible, guys. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. There is uh, hope when it comes to that. Something else that you said, I think in your book, you say the discipline of parenting has no shortcuts. You must show up. You must do the work. The book implies in a way that those are shortcuts because of the 101, but it, they are not shortcuts. It's, right? it's a bit, of, yeah, that's a great question. It's a bit of a misnomer. I think I did it as, as a selling point, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but think of it this way, right? If you, I'm cutting through the learning curve, right? Because it would, it, if something could take weeks to months to figure out on your own, I'm giving you how to do it in two to three days. Um, but you but you have to show up, you have to be consistent, and you have to be aware. If, if you want your kid to, to talk more, right? If you find, oh, my two-year-old, uh, my three-year-old is talking, but they're only using two to three-word sentences, right? Which is what a two-year-old should really be. You know, how do I get my kid to say more? Okay, well, you're going to require them to repeat after you when they're asking for things. That's, that's, that's where you want to focus. Okay, when you're asking me for things, you're going to say, mommy, I want a cookie, please. Oh, wow. Good job saying I want a cookie, please. Boom. Then they, don't, don't make them repeat it twice. They say it once, they get the cookie, and they've learned what you're doing is neurologically training them too. Because they're doing a behavior. Their brain is unable to tear apart the sequence. You're, they're doing a behavior, and immediately after, they're getting something they want. And that receiving of something you want is a hit of dopamine. And if you're doing something and then get a hit, hit of dopamine, your brain says, that was good. I like that. Let's do that again. Mom wants five words. We're going to say five words. I got a cookie and she gave me a big one. Like whatever it is. Obviously, don't give too big a reward that you can't manage. I, I say that honestly. Like I had a kid. I had a kid. He was 15. He lived in Clinton Hill. Nice part of Brooklyn. And he really liked Ikea chandeliers. I'm not kidding you. 
Ikea chandeliers. Um, and his parents would buy a new one every month after he was good. For, I, was, I was like, this is too much money, guys. I'm, I'm sure you have it, but stop. And so I introduced him to Chinese lanterns, which cost like $5 and saved them a lot of money. So you want to make sure whatever award you're giving your kid is something that's financially manageable. Right, right, <laughs> or, right. Yeah. Or, or, or just healthy. Like you don't want to give your kid a whole sleeve of cookies. I, I, listen, I, I, there's, 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 there's ways you can you know, titrate how much right. you're giving your kid. <laughs> right. There's so much into it. I really admire what you do. I was just reading um, you. your website, going through the book on Amazon. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It's a different world, the world of <laughs> behavior, child behavior. And then, as I said, off record, I started thinking about my husband even. <laughs> Maybe I can apply <laughs> some of these tips and hacks with him because it's true behavior. So that's what it means. Um, if it is effective, then they keep doing it. Keep doing it goes for everyone goes for everyone if it's if you don't want a behavior to continue then it's your job whether, whether with kids or with your husband unofficially i did not say that <laughs> yes, but, uh, <laughs> you won't listen to this one hopefully <laughs> uh, but you you know consequences we stop we stop seeing behaviors as effective when we receive certain consequences um whether we're shamed out of it by our peer group or whether an authority um delivers some sort of punishment uh and that's not to say anything that's like you don't want to be cruel about anything Right, right. I can't. Right. I can't tell you how many times I use the word "kind" in my book because yes. for me, rule number one is be kind. Yes. But a conversation can go a long way. As I told you earlier, my friend who felt the partner is flirtatious, you know, I let her know like you need to have a conversation because without consequences, that behavior is unchecked and that person's unaware. The thing is, when a, the person's unaware, it's a second nature for someone to to do something that you can't stand. But it's, they, they're unaware, right? But if you're like, hey, sweetheart, how about we turn the lights off um, before we leave? Or let's, let's, let's make a deal. How about I do the dishes tonight, you do the dishes tomorrow? Or whatever it may be, so, so that there is awareness that has to be you know, spoken. Um, if you have spoken about it, now here's, here's the rub, right? If you've spoken about it before and they acknowledged it before and they don't have a terrible memory because of some sort of um, disability or, or some sort of <laughs> diagnosable situation, then you have a right to turn up a little bit. And I'm going to let you decide how you want to turn up if you need to turn up on the people in your lives. But if if you have said, you know, we've talked about this before. Okay, now I got to take it to the next level and let you know, like, I'm really not happy with you. And but the, again, the consequence has to be big enough where um, they don't want to get stung again. I'm not saying anything reckless. I'm not saying anything violent or illegal or dangerous. But but, you know, that's that's human nature, unfortunately. Mm. That's a, an interesting eye opener. <laughs> and I, I didn't think of that way. So would that also take, in case of a, for adults, uh, eight times and <laughs> doing kind of correcting <laughs> that eight times <laughs> or less. That's, that's funny. Listen, I will, I will say this. I don't know the number for adults, but I will say this. Yeah, no. um, for all listening, what's, what's even more important um, than correcting behavior you don't like is rewarding behavior you do mm, like. Right. For right. kids, for, for friends, partners, lovers, praise, praise people, praise children, specifically, like, thank you so much for cleaning up after yourself. Thank you so much for putting your jacket on yourself. Thank you so much for being a big girl, for being a big boy. Thank you so much for saying thank you. Like, like be, and it's got to be specific too. So if you say, hey, great job, that's not enough. Oh, thanks, that's not enough. Like specify the behavior because again, this is going to go into the child's brain and it can, can provide a dopamine hit. We like receiving positive attention. We like being praised generally. You know, read, read your person. If someone has body language that says, I don't want to be praised right now, they understand how to deliver, you know, that message for them. Um, but praise is very important. Acknowledgement is very important. Giving people credit is very important. Giving credit for trying, right? Okay, giving credit for trying. So, um, for example, I have, a, I, have a, I have a friend and they fight about, he and his partner fight about um, dishes. And she doesn't want to do dishes every night but she's much faster at doing the dishes. So if, if she's seeing him do the dishes, instead of saying you're doing it wrong, if she says, thank you, baby, thank you for doing the dishes. I appreciate you trying. And then just at that point, walk away and understand that it might not be the way you like it. That's going to make it more likely that he will try to do it again, right? That and and so that's sense. it's tricky because he might not do the dishes right though, right? She might go back and be like, oh, I got to do yeah. something. Yeah. But at least, at least <laughs> <laughs> true. But at least he tried, you know. And then maybe next time he might try again and try again and try again. So praise, keep that in mind. And I put that in the book. Praise is key, you know. And then redirecting or delivering consequences is secondary. But praise, find 
what you want them to do. Ask yourself, what do I want them to do? Even with kids, if they're running around, you don't want to run around. Instead of saying, stop running, it's better saying, hey, sweetie, it's time to use our walking feet. Or we only use our walking feet. And I provide phrases in my book. I provide phrases in my, in my website too. You know, and that's really important for kids because they want to know what to do. And they want to get credit for doing it. So keep that in mind. Keep that in the forefront. Those are wonderful, though. Yeah, the more I listen to you, it's just um, I am absorbing that as making a lot of sense. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) It's interesting to hear you on the details, even the language, uh, what words to use. So we're almost at the end. And I want to thank you again for your beautiful presence, for being open to life. I love how you have put yourself in a position of exploration as an explorer and you have explored yourself, your inner world and then the outer world. So you have this both, <laughs> the dance between both yeah. worlds. So that's really wonderful, Chris, to see Thank in human so beings. Thank you for being an inspiration for us. And um, my ending questions, guess I'll ask you this one because uh, Your book, The Dedication, says, I dedicate this book to my best teacher and favorite student, my daughter, Serafina. I love that name, too. It's (laughs) a beautiful name. And I said with the Portuguese (laughs) accent, Serafina. The question that came to me was, what was the biggest lesson that she has taught you? What's the biggest lesson my daughter has taught me? Huh. Man, I think I I need like an hour to think about that. Off the top of my head, I suppose, patience. You know, obviously, all kids teach you patience. Um, she's taught me how to slow down, too. You know, one thing that kids are remarkable at that we as adults don't really appreciate um, as much as we could is how to be in the moment. Um, so, you know, they want like kids don't want to go to sleep because they, they, they still want to play. And they want to play because for them, life is so precious that every moment has some opportunity for some marvelous wonder. Out of nothing, out of nothing, out of nothing. You don't need to go to Disneyland, you know. They, and that's one thing I appreciate about them is just that 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 amazing ability to appreciate the now. Um, and and it's also she's also forced my hand to be much better at time management because once you have a toddler, you realize you have to add about forty five minutes into any anything you schedule, <laughs> minimum. <Yeah. laughs> right, um, I can imagine. I guess I guess the the last mm. thing I would say is she she's taught me what it is to to love a human being um, on a different scale because we obviously have love for our parents, our friends, and our partners. And, and those three types of love are all different types of love, right? And then the parent, the, the love that you have for your kid, it just, it just takes, it's another level, man. You know, it's another level. And I've heard parents talk about this before I had a kid, how, you know, you don't really know what love is until it's, it's, I can't say you don't really know what love is till you have a kid, but it's it's a different type of love that is just so rewarding. It's so beautiful, and I just I cherish it. I'm so grateful. She's taken my level of gratitude to the next level. It really, really has. Wow. It really has. Yeah, I can only imagine that part. I am not a mother, but I can imagine. I would say I can. <laughs> I love imagining things. So uh, that unconditional love, huh? what it's like to unconditionally love somebody, although it's not unconditional, right, Chris? Not exactly. It's up there. (laughs) Close enough, yeah. So uh, before I ask you my ending questions, I want to mention that on your website, you offer bonuses. I really like that. So you have different kinds. And then you also have a beautiful blog with so much information. Interesting blogs. All the pretty much tons of them caught my attention. And I'm not a mother, so... (laughs) Anyone who is parents, they just got to look at this. I mean, I will share with my community with so much joy because this is beautiful, filled with information that we need to be aware of, um, parents and non-parents. So in my ending questions, I'll ask you a question that I wanted to ask you earlier. How do you define intelligence? Huh. So I see intelligence not as a noun, but a verb, right? Intelligence is a very active process. Um, it's analyzing, it's observing, it's imitating, and it's applying. So it's all four of those. Um, it's, it's not just a specific skill set that you can check off on a milestone. It's how do you apply those skill sets? Because some skill sets you need in one environment differently than another. You have to modify them, um, adjust them, and have the wherewithal that you do need to modify them and adjustment, adjust them. So I look at intelligence as this, this, this active skill set that is consistently being fine-tuned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I kind of go back and forth between intelligence 
to me, seems to be like life itself, nature and everything that's happening right now automatically, that we are not doing anything, even thinking mm -hmm. for that to become real. Like the body now is doing all this work and we are not really trying to make right. it work. Right. Although we could by eating right and all those things, but those are secondaries. But then I think about wisdom. Um, that's kind of a focus. Ooh, yeah, focus on wisdom for some well, That's reason. different. Okay. Because it's funny because like you said, intelligence is in life, right? And intelligence... And I'll use the analogy of trees because people don't often think of, of plants as sentient or um, present, I should say. But if you ever, if you ever want to have a fun uh, experience, walk in the forest, otherwise, even now that's winter here, um, and look up, look up and see where the trees meet, and you'll notice that there is a small river that runs between them because the trees are able to analyze and respond to the environment, right? And that's. And that's, that's really a more terse way for me to put intelligence is analyzing and responding to your environment properly for, for your benefit and for the benefit of others. That's a better definition now that I've had a second to think about. But even trees have a sense of, oh, your branches end here. OK, I won't overrun you. They, they make space for each other. But, but wisdom, what is wisdom? That is the question for next time. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, no. Next episode. <laughs> Right. Oh, yes. Right. The, leaving some room from curiosity. We'll have that conversation one day, perhaps. Right, Chris? That'll be fun. Perhaps. Perhaps. Indeed. What is one message you wish everyone to take with them from this conversation we had today? The key is kindness, first and foremost. Um, with all relationships, the key is kindness. So try to step forward with that foot first. Um, and, and that includes empathy. That includes forgiveness. That includes considering someone's biology. Um, the, the key is kindness. And after that, the biggest takeaway, behavior will continue as long as it is effective. Um, and third, the key to any success, the discipline of parenting or financial success or physical success, consistency. Be consistent in your practice and you will see results. Right. Uh, wow. I hear a lot of wisdom there. <laughs> oh, I was speaking of wisdom earlier. Well played. Well played. Yes, now I, I see. Uh, yes, now truly, you come across very wise to me. Thank you so much, Chris, for your presence here today, for your presence in this reality, in our worldly reality, and for everything you do. I know it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort and commitment. So thank you for being you. It is. My pleasure, Valeria. Thank you so much for being you and having this platform and allowing me to share space and time with you and your energy. It's been lovely. It oh truly my has God. been. Thank, so thank you. you. Before we say goodbye, what is the best place to find more about you and your work, Chris? Uh, so people can go to 101behaviorhacks.com and they can find out about me. They can connect with me there. They can find me on IG at Chris Lake. It's underscore Chris.lake underscore. Um, they want to find out about community for a cause on my IG as well. But uh, it's probably best. And then my website for my charity is communityforacause.org. So any of those four sources, feel free to look me up, reach out. I'm out here. Wonderful. I'll have your website on your podcast profile. Thank you again, Chris, for your presence. Bye for now, my dear. Take care. You Bye -bye. too. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Chris Lake and his work, please visit 101behaviorhacks.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>